So we're starting a, a new season over the next coming weeks, and it's about the cost of um, discipleship. Like all things, most things have a cost, don't they? You have to make a commitment. A commitment requires something from you in the same way in which we follow Jesus. And Jesus requires us to have a commitment to him, to learn from him, to obey him, and to serve him and to make him known in the world. And it's quite exciting, really. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He actually said it's going to be challenging. If you read the Gospels, he tells you it's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be rejected. People aren't going to like you. The world's going to reject what you've got to say because they rejected me. So why would you think they're not going to reject you? And so we come and we want to learn, Jesus, what what is it like to follow you? What's it like to truly follow you, to be your disciple? To live a life in a modern world where people are biblically illiterate. They don't read the Word of God. Many generations now don't haven't been to church, have engaged in God's Word yet. How do we show them through our lives and our actions that we are disciples and what that means? that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are followers of the way, for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Does anybody know what the word disciple means? Very very simple. It just means a learner. Yeah, you wear L plates, basically. (laughs) You're you're a learner and you're somebody who's learning. Um, But the important thing is who you're learning from. You're learning from Jesus, isn't it? I may come up here and preach, you may be in a small group, you may be in different things and relationships, but we learn from Jesus. And where do we learn from Jesus? From his word, from his holy scripture, or from how he lived and how he taught us and how we should obey him. And so we're learners from Jesus, from his word, and to follow him and obey him. So we're learning. And the only way you can learn is if, you, if you're in this word. And it's quite basic, you know, if you're, you're a disciple, you want to know about Jesus, don't you? If you're following Jesus, you want to know about him. Who wants to know about Jesus? Hopefully, when most people praise God, that's good. Those who don't, then hopefully will inspire you that you do want to know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you get to know Jesus through his Holy Scripture, through his word, meditating on it day and night, bringing it before God in prayer. And Father, teach me how that I might live and obey the word of God. Help me to be that learner of you that my whole life may be shaped and directed to following Jesus and his commands for my life. So we're learners. We're learning, aren't we? We're all learning. I'm learning. You're learning. We're growing. And we're being inspired by Jesus, even so much that the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, teach us to pray. There's nothing to be embarrassed about in the Christian life. If you don't know something, come and ask. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, ask a friend, ask somebody in the church, teach me to pray, teach me to read his word, teach me to live for him, help me to live this life that needs to be lived for Jesus. In Jesus he inspires us to be disciples in two ways. That he says that as disciples we should encounter the kingdom of God, yeah? 
So as disciples, as we live, we're looking for the kingdom of God, which means God's rule. So in everything we do, everything we say, everything we act, we're looking for the rule of God in our lives, yeah? That God is the king, that God is the authority, that God is the power in our lives. And so we say to God as disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You help me as a disciple to encounter your kingdom and to make other people encounter your kingdom and your rule. What it means and looks like for God to be manifest and real in our world. That people might see the love, the hope, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the goodness of God in our world. A God who wants to transform this world and shape it. That people might experience heaven on earth. That people through the hardships and the difficulties and challenges of life will encounter a God who loves them. That will give them strength and inspire them to live to be more than they are. That God will be revealed through their lives. So as disciples we want to encounter the kingdom of God, God's reign. But we also want to help other people to encounter God's reign and rule through our lives as we live under submission to God's kingship. Amen. You follow me alright? Yeah? That's good. Praise the Lord. And as we encounter God's reign and kingship, Jesus also wants to respond to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to our encounter with God's word in a way that we're changed. So therefore Jesus is looking for a response in which we're transformed and changed. So to be a disciple means to be continually transformed and changed as you respond to the living word of God, as you respond to Jesus, as you run to the Holy Spirit. If we're not changing and responding to God and developing and growing in our encounter with Him, as we encounter the kingdom of God, we're going to not, we're not worse. We're not coming in awe and mystery going, wow! God is amazing. God is incredible. I need to change. I need to be different. I need to be a different person. My life has to be different. There's times when I, I sit there and I, and I read the scriptures and I meditate in scriptures. And it's amazing how tiny times you, you can read through the Bible, yet how you come across things that just seem to be new, don't they? To you at that point, a scripture is, just hits you in the heart and says, that needs to impact my life. That needs to, to change my life and make me different. And so in the disciple... Jesus is looking for us to respond the way that leaves us change. And that's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, when you're a bit institutionalized as a, as a religion and a faith and a, and a, as a, as a Christianity, and we're used to coming in church and standing up and sitting down and worshiping and doing things in a certain way, we're, 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 we're sort of in, engaged in our Christian lives in a, in a routine. Actually, sometimes the last thing we want is to respond to change, isn't it? <laughs> the last thing we do want is change. But the encounter of the living God brings change. You cannot be the same. And if you are the same, you need to ask God, help me to discover your kingdom that I might respond and change in a way that you want me to do in my life. In Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, when Jesus began his ministry, he was just baptized by John the Baptist. Um, this is not this, but this one will come in a minute. Don't worry, it'll come in a minute. So we're coming to look in a minute, but I'm just starting to mark just to get to the introduction to discipleship. So don't worry. And um, in Mark 
chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. He's had that time of testing. And he's just found out that John the Baptist has been killed. And he says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. He said, the time has come. It's amazing. Jesus recognized that the time had come for him to begin his ministry, for him to call his disciples, for him to start to preach the kingdom of God. And the very first thing that he starts and the very first mini sermon that he preaches is that the kingdom of God is near, that God's rule is near. It's time to change. And when he says the kingdom of God is near, you need to repent and you need to believe. Wow. And so the kingdom of God come near, coming near to us calls us into a relationship of repentance and belief as we encounter that. And when Jesus talks about time in, um, in that text, he's talking about a word which is called um, chronos in Greek. Have you ever heard of that? Martin has, I'm sure he would. Anyway, <laughs> and um, uh, the, um, so he's talking about a word that's called Kronos um, and Kairos. In Jesus, in this text, Kronos means time which goes on for a long time, really. It's, like it's got a beginning and an end. It's sort of like eternity. You've got this Kronos, and it's God can see everything, and God can see all across time. There's a big timeline. But kairos, which Jesus is talking about in Mark 1.15, he's using this word kairos, it means a moment in time. A time has come. There's a moment that's happening that requires a response in Jesus' life. Something that happened here that Jesus says, I, this is the, the time has come, something has happened. There's a moment here where God is working that I need to respond to. That's demonstrating the kingdom of God is near. Now we all have these Kairos moments. Have you ever had a Kairos moment? That moment in time for some people it might be marriage or having a children which are, are positive ones. It may be getting a job or uh, it, it may be um, um, relationships or friendships. It may be accepting Jesus in your life. That might be those Kairos moments, those positive moments in time where you think, wow, that's amazing. I respond to that. It's incredible. It makes you happy, doesn't it? But there's also those difficult times where those moments in times with Cronus where it might be death, where somebody experiences a bereavement or a death of someone. Maybe divorce. It may be made redundant and lost. But all these things, they're, they're, they're moments in times in which require response from us, don't they? They require a moment of change, of repentance and belief, a requirement to be different and not the same. They're moments for learning, aren't they? I think they're moments for those difficult times and good times. They're moments for learning. We can so easily go through life without learning anything, just going through the same routines and the same things without change, without anything happening. But these moments, be them good, these times that come are the moments to respond and to say, change, how can I be different? How is the kingdom of God coming near in this moment, in this time, to bring transformation and change, be it difficult or be it good? It's a bit like we said in the, the covenant prayer. 
I'm no longer my own, I'm yours. Put me to serve you in the good times and put me to serve you in the difficult times. Those Kronos moments, those, those Kairos moments, those moments that we need to respond to, but still serve God in. And we use the word repentance, but um, people always think about repentance and you put your sackcloth on, don't you? And you, and you get the ashes and you, you get before God on your knees and you repent for all your sins. And you cry out to God. And it's so easy for us in the, in the, in the modern world to think as, as disciples that, that repentance means sorry, isn't it? We're just saying sorry all the time. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. I say sorry to the sea all the time. So he said, sometimes I wish you'd just stop saying sorry and change. <laughs> you know, there's only so many times you can say sorry for doing something wrong. Do you have to come to a point and realize actually I have to change the action that's causing the, the reaction? You know, I always say to the sea, I didn't cause her reaction. You know, I can't, I can't make her angry. You know. I can stimulate it, but I can't. <laughs> it's her anger, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's only so many times you can say sorry to the point you realise you need to change, isn't there? And so there's only so many times we can say sorry to God and repent till we have to understand that we need to change. And remand, repentance uh, in this text in Mark chapter 1, it, it means, you know, of changing your mind. <laughs> Of what Paul talks about, of the renewing of your mind is changing the way of your thinking. Something has happened. Jesus has come into the world. (laughs) He's brought salvation. The kingdom of God is near. And he's calling us to have a change of mind, to think different. What does this mean for me now that Jesus is in the world? What does it mean now for Jesus to call me as his disciple? Because that's what he's called. He's not called you to church. Church is lovely, it's fantastic that we're here as the body of Christ, but he's called you to be a disciple. He's called you to be a follower of him, a learner of him. He's called you to that relationship of repentance, which means changing your mind, changing the way you're thinking, of of stopping saying sorry all the time and actually saying, it's time for me to change my way of thinking, my living and doing and being with my relationship to Christ. It's time for my my life and my relationship to be start to be responding to God's word and to the person of Jesus Christ and to become in line with what Jesus is calling me to be and how to live and how to be as a person. Amen. That's challenging, isn't it? That's scary. That That's a commitment. That requires a change of thinking. I think that requires for a change of thinking for the church in the United Kingdom let alone for me and you. (laughs) This requires a mindset change of where we understand we're a corporate body, but we are also individual disciples, each with our relationship and on our journey of following Jesus and learning from him. And that's what Jesus commanded his disciples to do, wasn't he? He said, he said, go out there and tell the world the good news. Baptize them and teach them and baptize them. Make them disciples. Make them learners of me that they may know me and understand me. Our, 
our, our great commission, the one thing we're meant to do is to go and make disciples, isn't it? And it's wonderful we have the mechanism of the church and we might think, you know, the church is great at making disciples. We've got small groups, we've got this, we've got other things and we've got services, we've got alpha courses, we've got this that will help make disciples. They might make Christians, but they're not going to always make disciples. Because disciples are made by disciples, aren't they? We have to decide to follow Jesus, to be a learner of him and live and what it means to follow him and obey him and trust him so that we might make other people disciples. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do, to make disciples. And that's a challenge I would have for each one of us, that each one of us learns what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to follow him, to live in his word and pray and seek him and to make a disciple. Do you imagine each one of us actually went out and had a disciple? You're all getting scared now, aren't you? (laughs) But as a disciple of Jesus, you have a responsibility to disciple someone else. And even if you only disciple one person in your own life, in your whole lifetime, isn't that incredible? Wouldn't that be an amazing experience to see somebody come to know Christ? To love Christ, to serve Him, to pray, to seek God, to read His Word, for their life to be transformed where they're serving God's kingdom. To the point that actually they then go and bring someone to faith and start to disciple them in the ways that you taught them, that you have learned from Jesus. That's incredible. That's a privilege. And that's the life that God calls us to. But we have to come to that point of repentance and stop always saying sorry and saying, how can I change? How can I be different? God, how can I live for you? And at times when when I get to that point where I think something, and I, I do get a lot, and I think, God, what do you want to do? God, where are you going next? God, how can I live for you? What what is What's your purpose for me, God? Can you open up the doors and the opportunities for me to share this amazing faith that you've given me? And and it's alright for me to preach up here and say to you guys to, to do that, but we know the world is hard, isn't it? It's hard out there. Our, our, our schools are devastated. You know, the, the, there's generations of, this generation of kids in our school, 95% of them don't go to church. 95% of them haven't got a clue what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship, repentance, God. They don't have any link to what we're doing here today. There's so many people here disconnected from what we're doing. So the way that they can learn is the way that the Jesus model, isn't it? What did Jesus do? He went out and got some disciples and he taught them God's word, taught them how to follow, to love God, serve God and follow him and sent them out to do the same. And that was a good principle 2,000 years ago and it's still a good principle today. That as disciples, as learners of Christ, that we go and teach other people what it is to learn about him. You know, it's the most amazing, fantastic privilege to sit down with someone who's just accepted Christ in their life and to explore the Bible with them and to be a mentor to them and support them and to hear their questions. You know, Vanessa's amazing. Vanessa just asks questions all the time. She's always got questions. She's always on WhatsApp doing something. What about this, Gary? What about this, Gary? What about this? <laughs> what does this mean? I've read this in the Bible. What does this mean? And it's an incredible 
experience to see someone who's looking the word of God and it's opened up to them, it's becoming real, it's impacting their life, it's transforming and it's changing them and to be on that journey with them. But if we're not in that relationship with Jesus ourselves, where we're disciples, where we're changing our mindsets and our understanding and engaging with the kingdom of God. And you know, it's not, it's not, and, and as I engage with God and say, God, how are we going to make an impact here? God just says to me, pray and fast. <laughs> pray and fast. Read my word. Seek me. Desire me. Look for my presence. Look for my glory. There's no big answers but to seek me and for me to come and to transform and change the situation. That's amazing, isn't it? Actually, what we've got to do is seek God and say, God, let me live for you. And let me seek you and let me desire you that you might come and change the atmosphere and change and bring opportunities and you will bring the kingdom near. And you will draw people into your kingdom. I just have to be a disciple who loves you and seeks you and desires you to do that. And to believe, you know, this is one of the most difficult words I think we have in the in the Western church days, the word believe. When Jesus said believe, he maybe thinks thought something about about believe when uh, the, what you think about when you hear the word. What do you think? What do you think when you hear the word believe? I hear a lot of people, when especially like you're an alpha course and different things, you say to people, "Oh, you need to you need to believe, and you need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in God and His word." And they say, "I just can't believe it. Where's the evidence? Where's the facts? <laughs> show me this. Uh, show me in science. Show me all these different things to to prove that that Jesus lived." And it's almost today that people want proof and evidence, in fact, and and scientific level of of um, evidence to believe in Jesus that. That as if belief is based on fact and information. Whereas Jesus, when he uses the word believe, and when we encounter the word believe in, in, the, in the New Testament, it's actually talking about obedience. <laughs> that when you believe, you, belief is to step out and live, and act, and do what you have learned. Yeah? Because it's about belief in our relationship here. It's about a belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's a belief in the God who's called you and loved you. And that belief calls you then to live and respond and act and walk according to God's will and purpose. You know, lots of people, they encounter the Bible. Oh, I want to understand the Bible. I want to understand, I want, I want to understand all the history, the background, the facts, and all that stuff. Do you know what? Sometimes best just to read the Bible and obey it. Just read the Bible and do what it says. <laughs> just follow God's command. You know, the, in, in Africa and in, in South America and places in Africa and South America, the church is growing the fastest through something called a discovery Bible study, and where people sit and read the Bible together. And at the end of it, they say, "Now you've read that, and we've explored it together, and we've discussed it together. How are you going to obey it? How are you going to obey it? How are you going to live this out in your life today? And who are you going to tell about what you've discovered today?" 
about Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That for me is belief. You see the Bible, you see what it says, you obey it, you live it, and then you tell somebody about else about how fantastic it is to live it and obey the word of God. And that's the belief that Jesus is calling us to, to believe in him by living out and making real and being obedient to what Jesus is saying to us and commanding us to do. And when we come to um, Luke chapter 14, which is going to be a scripture here, hopefully I won't get much time, they may come back to it another time, because it took a lot of the introduction. But it talks about the cost of discipleship, Luke 14, verses 25. It says, now a large crowd were traveling with him. You know, Jesus always had issues with large crowds, did you know that? <laughs> Jesus always seemed to be most challenging when he had large crowds because Jesus seemed to be aware there was a lot of people maybe following him for the wrong reasons <laughs> and the wrong purpose because Jesus wasn't calling people to him that he wanted to gather crowds. He was not interested in crowds because every time he had crowds, he gave challenging words that scared them off and he was left with a few people. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So Jesus' intention was not always to gather crowds. And our attention here is not to gather crowds. But our attention here is to be, uh, to be faithful to God's word and to follow Jesus and to be obedient to that and to live it. And that may be challenging at times and difficult and not everybody wants to hear that, do they? But that's the word and the life that's going to transform the world. It did it once before, it can do it again. And the crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoa, whoever comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life cannot be my disciple. Whoa, that must have been the biggest killer sermon in all the history. <laughs> Goodness me. Wonder what happened to that crowd. I'm sure you didn't have a crowd for, for very long. And as we listen to those words, it's quite challenging, isn't it? Because I don't think Jesus is really saying to us that we should hate our mother and father because that would be breaking off the Ten Commandments, wouldn't it? Where we have to honour our mother and father. So, so there must be something deeper, more meaningful, more, more powerful here than the sense we have to hate our, our mother and father, our wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even life itself. And those who can't do that can't be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And we look at um, Matthew Ooh. Matthew chapter 10, um, verse 34. And this is another great one of Jesus who says, I, bring, I come not to bring peace but a sword. He was, he's some good words here, hasn't he? He says, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring, I have, I have come not, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foe will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So Matthew has a, a little bit softer take on it. It's still quite challenging, but a bit softer take on it. And we can see here when Jesus says, he says you've got to hate your mother and father, your, your children, your close family and all these things. He said, he's basically saying, you've got to love me more than them. That's difficult, isn't it? You've got to love me more than them. In fact, you've got to love me more than your own life. That's the cost of discipleship. That we come into a relationship with Jesus who says, if you're going to follow me and you want to be my disciple, you've got to love me above and beyond anything else in life. You think we can do that? I don't think it was easy for the disciples. I don't, that wasn't easy for anybody to hear. But this is one of these moments, of Kairos moments, to take those words and say, I've got to love Jesus beyond everybody and anybody else. And not let anybody else come in between me and my relationship with Jesus. How do I live that? How does the kingdom of God come in that? How does that bring transformation and change? What does it look like to be a disciple who's so sold out, so for Jesus, so in love with him, that Jesus is the most important thing in your life? And when Jesus is the most important thing, you're going to honor your mother and father. Because I've seen people who have come to Christ and their relationships, their mother and fathers are broken, but when they found Jesus Christ, their relationships were restored and healed and renewed. I saw people who didn't know Christ and their relationships with their kids were broken, but when they came to know Jesus Christ, the relationships with their children were restored and healed because Jesus came in and took their brokenness away and bring healing and hope and love into their lives. And for those who are willing to lose their life because they love Jesus so much, they're going to find life and life in the fullness and restoration and hope. That's the promise of the gospel. If you're willing to lose it, you're going to find something more precious more beautiful, more incredible as you give your life to Jesus Christ. But he's asking you, if you're not sold out for me, you might be a church member, you might be a good person, you might be a good father or mother, you might be a good musician, but you're not my disciple. Whoa. (laughs) That's incredible, isn't it? That's incredible. That makes us reflect. What is the cost of being a disciple? I tell you, I stand here today challenged because I can't say I'm 100% there, but I want to be. Do you? Or have I scared you? (laughs) So he's asking you to be sold out for him, to serve him, to to love him, to do his will. And and he goes on to say, um, regarding um, chapter 14, he goes and says, um, for which of you um, who's intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost? 
to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all will see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus is saying there, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, you've actually got to do some thinking about him. If you're going to say, I want to have Jesus in my life, I want to follow him, I want to obey his word, then, yeah, I've got to think about it. What does it mean to be sold out for Jesus? What, what's the costs? Because the thing is, you wouldn't take out a mortgage, would you, without first thinking about whether you could pay it? <laughs> you wouldn't start a business without thinking, I've got some business plan, or this might become successful, or something might happen about it. There's many things in our life that we plan meticulously for, don't we, and plan and think about it so that we know there'll be a chance of success rather than failure. But do we do that when we follow Jesus? And that's what Jesus is saying. Like the person who's building the tower is actually thinking, actually, what's this going to cost? What's this going to require? So Jesus is saying, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to think about the cost. I need to make sure that I'm willing and able to fulfill this and to see it through, that there is a plan here. And... um. Or what king goes out going out to war against another king will not soon sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. It's not a good idea if you've got 10,000 soldiers to go to war with 20,000 soldiers unless you've got some good strategic plans and think we can win this. And you've got some, some tricks up your hand like the Romans against Boudicca or whatever. <laughs> you know, you've got to think about whether you're going to do, whether you can do this. And so the king goes out and negotiates peace first because he knows pretty much if he goes with 10,000 soldiers against 20,000 soldiers, he's going to lose. So he's willing to make peace and count the cost. So much more as us are going to follow Jesus. Have we sat down and counted the cost? Have we considered what it's going to require to be a disciple and follow him? So we've got to be willing to count that cost to follow Jesus. I wish it was easy. I wish I could tell you it was simple. But that's not what Jesus told his disciples. From John from John 14 to 17 onwards, Jesus told them about it will be difficult. People will reject you <laughs> in my name. You'll suffer, you'll be taken away in chains, you'll be doing this thing. This is him trying to inspire disciples to carry on after he leaves and dies that they will carry on building this kingdom. You're going to be rejected, you're going to suffer, it's going to be hardship. People are going to torture and punish you because of the, my name. You're going to experience rejection. Who likes rejection? None of us like rejection, do you? But part of being a Christian and being a disciple and taking the Christian message and, and discipling others is, is that we have to face rejection. For people will reject the message that we have. And probably more people will reject and accept. But when we're prepared for that, then we're ready for it. Because you're planning ahead, aren't you? You're going to say, well, I'm going to talk to 12 people. And at least 10 of those people are going to reject me, if not 12 of them. Then I have to find another 12. But when you find that person who's ready to listen and to accept Jesus, then you're giving them the most precious treasure, most precious jewel in all their lives and that's what you have to understand as a disciple, you have the most precious thing that you could possess this life is very short 
this life is passing away. How, how many years do we have left? Most of us, most of us are over 40, 50, 60, aren't we? You know, we're, we're all, all getting, Katie's just passed there, I think, yes. So we're all, we're all getting there, you know. There's, there's not many of us who are, who are that young anymore, are we really? And so most of us, our life on earth is, is mostly coming, coming and it's going. Where, where is our life ahead? It's an eternity, isn't it? It's in the kingdom of God. It's the rule of God. And one day we're going to be like a flash. And we're going to stand there before him. And William Booth, he would say, he would say, I don't want to stand there before God and see another person wear my crown. <laughs> another person wear my glory. Another person wearing the tribute upon their heads because I failed to follow Christ. I failed to preach the gospel. I failed to make disciples. I failed to, to share about him. I, I gave up on the suffering, the struggle, and the difficulty. He said, I want to stand there and I want to wear that crown. I want to have that crown of jewels. I want my reward for following him. And that, that, there is an inheritance that's waiting for us in eternity. And that inheritance is souls and salvation, isn't it? And I do believe that one day we're going to be in heaven. We're going to wear that crown, and on that crown there's going to be jewels, and those jewels will be souls. Those jewels will be souls. Of people have come to salvation in Christ, and I tell you, I want a crown surrounded by jewels. Do you want that crown? Because eternity is going to be your home. Eternity is going to be your forever. This time is short. It's passing. It's going by. Uh, now is the time to repent and believe and live for the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God is near your time of entering God's kingdom is coming soon if Christ doesn't return and are you ready to stand before the king of kings and the lord of lords and say I was your disciple I served you and I loved your word and I obeyed it in Jesus name Amen let's pray